Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, and you can just hold your spot there. Oh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you'll just turn there, we're not going to read it just yet. Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the working of the cross in the life of the believer. Not just dying for the sins of the world, but that believers would walk dead to sin. We would live and experience uh, his victory over sin, not only to get us to heaven, but to get us uh, walking in victory over sin and temptation. And, and our biggest enemy, uh, I believe, I know we have Satan, he's our adversary, but our biggest things we struggle with is our flesh, I believe, from day to day and all this, the struggles of the flesh. And so just to refresh your memories, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, uh, we've been talking about using Israel entering to the promise, entering into the promised land in Joshua's day and the battles that they had to fight as our, our uh, I guess, correlation, as our illustration for the church and walking in victory in Christ. The victory was assured. God said, I'm going to drive out the enemies. There won't be a man be able, be able to stand before you. Don't you worry about it. He told him, just trust me. Just believe me. Keep my commandments. Keep my sayings. And as you go, there won't be an enemy that's able to stand against you. You're going to face enemies stronger than you, mightier than you, more uh, in number than you. But don't be afraid. They still had to walk it out. I guess this is the point. They still had to take up their weapons and fight. They still had to march when he said march. They still had to put on their, uh, their protective gear and armor and so forth and be where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be, with the right mindset. And God would send the priest before them and they would be, uh, in many instances, the priest would go before them, uh, blowing trumpets and so forth and, and pronouncing a blessing before the children of Israel. But... The same goes for us, y'all, that if we're born again, as we walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to face new uh, challenges every day. We're going to, I don't, we'll have seasons of life, we'll have daily struggles that we face, and as we walk in the light, walking with Jesus in obedience to the Lord, he, we're going to find ourselves walking in, in places of battle, in places of of an enemy coming against us. It could be our flesh, it could be the devil, something that's coming against our spirit, something that's coming against our life, something that's trying to get us to sin and to fall, or get us discouraged, that we would turn back, that we just wouldn't take any new ground. And this whole study, in at least the last few weeks and tonight as well, is about taking some new ground. I always say, you know, if you look at your life and took an inventory of your spiritual life, just where you are today as, as opposed to where you were, I mean, pick a number, three years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. I pray that genuinely, I'm not asking for a show of hands or anything, but I pray that genuinely you could look at your life and say, I remember what three years ago was like, or a year ago. I remember that I didn't have much of a prayer life personally. I remember that I was hit or miss with my reading my Bible. I remember the things I used to watch on TV that somehow they're out of my life now and I'm not going back to them. We ought to be able to see things in our life where we've taken new ground. Like the children of Israel took some, there were very definite battles and very definite victories and it was theirs. 
And so as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we're going to find ourselves fighting. But we're always fighting from a place of victory. I know you've probably heard that. Sometimes maybe it's hard to grasp. By fighting for victory, I guess we're, uh, a proper way to put it is we're fighting from a place of victory. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we're walking in Jesus and we're using the armors of God and we're trusting God by faith, and, and walking in obedience, the, the victory is sure. And every victory that people fight is not sure. I mean, go on the ball field to, to play a game, they're not sure that they're going to win. A country goes to battle, they're not sure that they're, they're going to win. It's exciting to know that in Christ, we're positive that we're going to win. It might take some struggles. It might take a longer struggle than what we like, or maybe it's a, a, a more severe fight than we thought it would be. But God is assuring us the victory, okay? And we're to, we're to walk in Him. And then, remember how we talked about last week that we ought to get to a place in some particular victory that we have. Victory over our tongue. You know, even as a Christian, maybe, I'm just making things up, okay? Even as a Christian, maybe there's some point where you would let, uh, you would lie. Or you would, you would, uh, be boastful, or you might let a, a, a word, a curse word slip, and you're saved, and you know you shouldn't do it, and this is a struggle for you, and then God brings you to a place of victory, we need to be able to take a big banner, like, and stick it in the ground, bam, mm -hmm. and say, here's our victory, this is like Jericho, mm -hmm. there will be others' battles to fight, but I can stand Kind of at peace, no war in this area. This is like a victory, not like a victory. It's a victory that the Lord has given me. Mm -hmm. And we ought to have things like that in our lives. And I want just to think about it as we go into this, this next scripture that we're about to read. What glory is it if we're double-minded? What? How does that glorify God? How does that bless our walk with the Lord if we're double-minded, if we're wandering around uh, kind of in a place of a stalemate? You know, when, in, a, in a game of chess, I've mentioned it before, there can be a draw. There can be a stalemate. It's in the rule book. You know, some, two guys playing chess or two people playing, you can get to a place where this game's a draw. Nobody won, okay? They have boxing matches that are scored, you know, like where the judges are keeping score. That can be a draw, and it can be a stalemate. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, there's no glory and honor if I've just sort of settled into this, you know, I'm not taking new ground. I'm not retreating necessarily and going back across the Jordan, back into the wilderness, but I'm just not moving. A year's passed, two years have passed, five years have passed, and I'm not taking any new ground. That's really not, there's, there's that, that life is not really laid out for the life of the believer. We're to be taking new ground. What if somebody's always boasting, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm in Christ, I'm seated together in, in Christ in heavenly places, but they're taking no new ground, no new territory for Christ. Never sharing the gospel with anybody never personally growing. There's no more fruit in their life, no more victory over sin in their lives, no more power in their walk or their prayer lives than they had before, no more understanding of the Word of God 
no more usefulness in the ministry of the Lord, and yet they're boasting of all that they are in Jesus. That's really no, that, that picture doesn't add up. You know, we're to be taking new ground. If the, the children of Israel were to be eating of the, the milk and the honey. You understand what I'm saying? Drinking of that, eating of it, and dwelling in the houses that they took and, and, and possessing the houses and possessing the land and actually experiencing it. That's really the focus of what we're talking about is expo us experiencing what we have in Christ, not just doctrinally knowing, going to heaven when I die, all my sins are forgiven. I'm a new creature in Christ. We know all the scriptures, who we are. I'm standing upon the rock. And yet there's no real experience of Christ in my life. I worry just as much as I did 15 years ago. I grumble and complain just as much as I did 15 years ago. I fall into the same worldliness that I did 15 years ago. We need to be taking new territory. I'm not saying that we're not Christians. I'm saying that life is not the life we're called to. And God's not going to allow us to stay there. He's going to keep stirring the nest. So to speak. He's going to keep stirring us up. And so there's no place for a draw. I guess was my point of that illustration about the chess match. There's no place for a draw or a stalemate when it comes to this. The chess game, that's fine. But not when it comes to our walk with the Lord. And so I want you to turn with me to Ephesians, if you're already there. Ephesians 4, we know the passage. Let's read in verse 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, again, he's not talking to lost people here. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. He's talking to people that are born again. The Spirit of Christ is in them. They're new in Jesus. And he's still telling them, and he's telling us, put off the old man. Okay, put off the old man, which is corrupt. And so we have to put him off. We have, just like we have to put on the armor of God, we have to put off the old man. And basically, we have to put him out. We have to put him out. And God's tool and method of doing this is the cross. So I want to ask you something. Do you, uh, do you believe that the Lord would have us subdue temptations and enemies in our life? Or what was the instruction given to the Israelites and to Joshua and to, you know, through Moses before he died? When you go into the, the land, there's going to be all these idolaters, right? All the Canaanites and they... They had all this Baal worship and all types of, they were offering their children as sacrifices, burnt sacrifices to, to their Baal and to these gods. And the Lord says, when you get in there, I want you to, I want you to make them your servants. Put them to work for you. Is that what he said to do with them? There are some instances where that happened, but that was not the calling. God said, I want you to utterly destroy them. And he had a reason for that. It's not for us to pass judgment on God and say, God, that was a little extreme. There's something he knew that they didn't know. And there's something that God knows, a lot of things, that we don't know as Christians. And I know I share this, but if, if you have ungodly friends and lost friends that have no intention of, at least at this point in their life, giving their lives to Christ, 
though you love them with all your heart, they need to be put out of your life. If they're lost, and you've brought the gospel to them, and they've rejected, and they have no intention of giving their life to the Lord and see no need for that, uh, then they need to be put out of our lives. God will show you how to do it. He'll show you how to do it in a Christian way. He'll show you how to do it in a thorough way. But that's not something that you just put in subjection. I'll call them up. They're my football buddies. I'll call them up when I want to watch a football game. They're my fishing buddies. I'll call him up when I want to go fishing. He's got a nice fishing camp or a nice boat. So I'll keep them over here. I'll put them in subjection. And I'll call them up when I want. We better not do that. That is not what we're called to do. It's not cruel. It's not mean. It's called obedience to the Lord. It's called wisdom. And so that would be anything like that in our lives. That God would consider to be an enemy of the cross. An enemy of our own souls. And so they were told to destroy the enemies. And so the Bible tells us that we are, if you walk after the flesh, you shall what? Die. Romans 8, 13. But if you, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, do mortify or put to death the deeds, it has to do with our deeds, our actions. We put to death the deeds of the body, we shall live. We'll live in Christ. We'll live in liberty. We'll live in freedom. We'll walk in the Spirit. And so it's not for me to pass judgment on that and think right or wrong or a little too extreme. It's for me to obey that and to walk in obedience to that. And God will show us how to do that. He'll give us the strength to do it. So I wanted to read an example of this. Turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2. Who knows what the theme pretty much of Judges was. Do y'all remember what was going on? This is after the Pentateuch, okay? After Joshua. It's the next book after Joshua. So we got the whole Exodus and then all the law given and then the Israelites in Joshua's day possessing the land and then he's old and he's going to die and God had kept all his promises. Joshua said not one of his promises failed but the people had failed to possess all the land. There was still a lot of land to possess. And so we get to the book of Judges, and it was kind of like the, the people halfway, I don't know what, what percentage we would say, but let's say they halfway fulfilled what God had called them to, to do. They were in the promised land, but they didn't have all of it. They had killed most of their enemies, but not all their enemies. They made leagues, leagues or treaties with some of them. And of course, you can imagine just what God said would happen if this is what they did. There was a failure on their part because the, the supply of strength and power from God was there. The victory was given. There was a failure on their part to walk in obedience to do what God had called them to do. And I think judges, I'm not the one that summed it up this way, but other uh, Bible commentators, uh, commentaries have summed it up that it was a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's a good synopsis of, and you see some people that were spiritual, some people that weren't spiritual, but there was, didn't seem to be any, any real standard. It, was, it wasn't God's standard. It was people doing what they thought was best. And, and we see a lot of that. We see well-meaning people that think they know what's best and they, every man does what's right in his own eyes. I think this is right. 
and they live by it. But that code is, is that, you know, your own self-code is, is nothing. It's worthless. It's vanity. He's given us what to walk in right here. The Word of God by the power of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And so let's read this in Judges 2. Judges 2, 1 through 3. And the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. How many times was this repeated? How many times did Moses say it? He never even went to the promised land, but God showed him what to tell the children of Israel. It was repeated to where you think this is so, uh, I don't know, monotonous almost. It's, he said it so many times that we think it's overkill, but it's not overkill. Destroy the enemies. Don't make leagues with them. If you allow them to stay, if you take their daughters to marry your sons and their sons to marry your daughters and you don't utterly drive them out, they are going to be a snare to you. You are not going to improve their behavior or their morals. They're going to bring you down. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners and good, good morals. And I, was, I remember teaching the, the Foxy's kids a while back. And the Lord gave me that, that scripture. And we had in our refrigerator, I think I've shared this before, some strawberries. You know, strawberries don't last long, do they? You ever had strawberries in the, in the fridge? And, you know, some stuff lasts a long time, but they don't. And so we had them in our fridge, and you're digging around through stuff in the fridge, and you find these long-lost strawberries. And they don't look so hot. They got fuzz growing all over them. And what I noticed is that there would be a good-looking strawberry in the little container, and right next to it is one all covered with fuzz. And when you pull them apart, you still didn't want to eat the good one because the good one on that side where it was stuck, they kind of became one uh, infused together. And that good one was on that side was all mushy and it was starting to get nasty and all through. And so I brought those and showed the kids and I talked to them about who they hang out with. If you're a Christian, if you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not bringing them up. I'm talking about hanging out. I'm not talking about evangelizing. Those are two different things. If you're hanging out with lost people and that's your company, that's your company. This is my, my, my boys. This is my crew that I run with, right? This is my guys. Uh, and I hang out with them. You're not bringing them up. Whatever you think, you're not. Because the Bible says you're not. He's, the Lord says, come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. You're not bringing them up. That strawberry, I still told the kids, that really good strawberry that's stuck to the other one and rubbing up against it, it's never going to make this other one better. It's not improving the moldy one. The mold's not clearing up, and this thing's getting restored back to, you know, eatability. Um, 
it's, it's corrupting it. It'll go from that one to the next one. And so they were told to destroy them. He said they're gods. This is what God always had in mind. They were to be married to the Lord. They were to be in covenant with the Lord. They were to be his and solely his. They were to be separated unto God. And he said their gods are going to be a snare to you. I think that was the number one thing. And guess what? We found Baal worship all over the place in Israel, among the chosen people of God. We find them offering their sons and daughters to Molech and to Baal and these different gods and worshiping Baal under out in nature, under the high, the, in every high place and under these green trees. When God had set his name in place and as the tabernacle, where he was to be worshipped. You understand that it did happen. He knew it was going to happen. And so, it's, again, it's not for us to say, that's a little extreme. We have to kill them all. We don't kill everybody we come in contact with. Kill the inhabitants of this land. They are idolaters. Okay? And so they didn't do it. And this was just one instant. And Judges was just up and down. Up and down. Up and down. The whole book. It's frustrating. We read about Gideon and Samson and Barak and these different people in, in the book of Judges where, where God would raise up a judge because the people got so oppressed by their enemy in their own land, okay? The promised land flowed with milk and honey. The Israelites got oppressed by the Philistines. The Israelites got oppressed by the Moabites, okay? that came up, the Midianites, that came up like grasshoppers in uh, Gideon's day, right? They were oppressed. And so they would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer like Gideon. And they would be, get the oppressors off of them. They would win some big victory. They would serve God for a few years, as long as maybe that leader lived. When that leader died, guess what? Right back into they cry out to God again. He'd raise up Samson. Then they'd go and be delivered and have about 20 years of peace. Then they go back into it. That's what the book of Judges is about. A lot of Christians live that way. We go to revival. We get fired up at a church service. We get fired up at a youth retreat. Uh, the Lord touches our heart, but we don't walk in it. The whole thing with the Lord is a walk. It's a walk. It's not you were saved on this day. I'll see you in heaven. There's a big life between there. And it's a wonderful life. And as long as we're here, we're to walk in the victory that he's given us by the power of the Holy Ghost, by faith. And so the cross in our life is, is God's solution to that. To die into those things and putting them out, putting the enemy out. We're to purify your hearts, you double-minded, James says. And, and we're to possess the land like Joshua and Caleb told the Israelites, we've been well able to possess it. Remember, uh, the ten spies said we could never do it. God brought us out here to kill us. Let's find a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb rent their clothes and said, what are you talking about? Are y'all crazy? God didn't bring us here to, to die. He brought us here to, to bring us into this land. It's beautiful. We'd be well able to take it. Even though they might have been as tall as the ceiling, we'd be well able to take it if God's for us and he says he is with us. Let's go up at once, Joshua said, and take it. But we don't. We, we, we don't a lot of times. And 
Just like it says in Joshua 13, you don't have to turn there. There remains very much land yet to be possessed. Okay? There's great stretches or, or territories that are in front of us as Christians that we have not possessed and walked in and made our own. We hear about them. We read in books of, you know, Willie Burton, and we read about others, missionaries, and people praying hard, and, you know, all these people, and uh, Mueller and different people, and we think, wow. And we should say, wow, it's amazing how God used them. Mm -hmm. I totally respect them and thank the Lord for them. Amy Carmichael, we could go on and on and say, man, I'm not one thousandth of a Christian that they are. But the point is, we could be. We could be, not that we compare ourselves to them, but we could be much more than we are in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what I'm waiting for. You know, getting older, hair's turning a little gray, starting to fall out, starting to shrink a little bit. You know, uh, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? And heaven will be heaven. What am I going to do between now and then? I want to take some ground, new territory for the Lord, for His sake. So, I just want to read this scripture. There's a parable uh, in Luke 19 where it says a certain noble, noble man called his, his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Okay? Occupy till I come. You know that, that parable? And so he was going to leave and as he was leaving, he told them, I want you to occupy till I come back. It's like his last instruction. So remember, we did we finished a five-week series on, on the Great Commission. And we're to be actively working in the Lord's fields. They're white with harvest right now. Pray for laborers for the, for the fields. And we're to be actively serving God. So the Lord's gone away. I mean, His Spirit's with us. But Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back again. And He's going to bring us back to be with Him. But in that time, he's given us the Holy Ghost, which is the third person of the Trinity, okay? Not some second-rate substitute, but he says, occupy till I come. So that word occupy simply means to busy oneself with. We are to be taking new ground for the Lord. That's why I said a draw and a stalemate doesn't work. It's not what we're called to do. We're called to be advancing. We're called to be, Paul said, I fought the good fight. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say 25 years ago, I fought a good fight. He says, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've run the race that's set before me. You run, Hebrews 12, the race that's set before you with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of, of your faith. And it's, it's an ongoing thing. When, he, when Paul was about to be martyred and he knew he was, he told his young disciple, Timothy, he said, he said, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say do it for a few days and then take a break. He said, do the work of an evangelist. The point is, we're to always be advancing spiritually. God will show us how. God certainly, by His grace and by the work of the Holy Spirit, is going to be the one who gives the victory. Like he brought the walls of Jericho down. He doesn't expect you to knock the walls of Jericho down. He expects you to walk in obedience to him and trust him and be still and know that I'm God. Like David, right? This day, Goliath, the Lord's going to deliver you into my hands. 
Who's going to deliver Goliath into David's hands? The Lord is going to deliver you into my hands, for the battle belongs to the Lord. We shouldn't get tired of hearing this, but at some point after hearing it, God would have us to walk in it, amen? To really walk in that. And so I believe that if the church, and I don't want to bring some blanket condemnation on the church, but the church as as a whole, if the church is living in the flesh, so to speak, if, it, if it's hard to tell the difference between a believer and the world, a believer and how they talk and think and act and spend their time and what they do and what they do in their free time and who they hang out with and what they wear and what they watch, what they drink and so forth. If you, if you can't tell the difference between the two, that's not the church making the world more like Christ. That's the world corrupting the church. If you find that many of those same worldly uh, conditions and traits inside the church walls and inside the people of God and their fellowship and their lives, then that would be the world corrupting the church. We have a worldly church. Corinth was an example in 1 Corinthians anyway, and I love that. If you've taken the time, I know you have to read or study 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is rebuking them very sternly. He never tells them that they were lost because they weren't lost. The people in the church were saved. Paul brought them the gospel. They were saved. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I know it's a bit of a mystery, but the gifts of the Spirit were active within their lives and in their church services. Yet they were immature. They were carnal. Carnal means worldly. He says, are you not carnal? Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, Paul baptized me. Well, Apollos baptized me. Well, Barnabas baptized me. They were arguing over childish things like that. There was immorality, gross immorality known in the church, and they let it slide. They just let it go. And say, aren't we very gracious? Look how the grace of God is at work in our lives. We're letting this immorality and fornication and so forth continue in our church. Look how gracious we are. Paul says, are you kidding me? Put them out. Put them out. You're going to judge angels one day. I don't understand all that. But that's what the Bible says. Can't you judge this right here within your church? Can you deal with it? He's talked the whole body. He didn't just rebuke the pastor. The whole body knew it. The whole body thought they were so gracious in letting this go. What is my point? The point is that was a worldly church, but they were church. They were saved. He rebuked them sternly. Uh, they were out of order. Their services were confusion. They would have been swinging from the chandeliers saying, this is the Holy Ghost. Look at what, look how the Spirit's moving in our services. And it was out of order. That's why in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he talks about order, the gifts of the Spirit. Covet the best gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. Covet them. But let everything be done decently and in order. For God is not the altar of confusion. And he gives them the rules to follow. So by the time we get to 2 Corinthians, there's not the same rebuke. Because he had written 1 Corinthians... 
And it was his instruction to them. And he was an apostle. He was over that church. God had given him that position. He was a pastor. But as an apostle, Paul was over that church. And they could have said, who's Paul? Forget it. And they disobeyed, but they didn't. Praise God. They did what the rebuke said. Judge this, this immorality. Have order in your services and so forth. And they did it. And he's commending them. He's saying, what vengeance, you know, against that sin? What victory? Because you obeyed. And there was true repentance. And, and they judged the, the sinners. And they put them out. And they repented and came back. The way it's supposed to be. Not ongoing in your sin. You think that's going to corrupt a few others? Absolutely. Put it out. And then God, did, there was a, a work of God in those individuals. They were able to come back and fellowship with the body because they were in right fellowship with Christ. They could come back in right fellowship with the body. These things are just, I would say, common sense for Christianity. But people don't do it. You can't tell the difference. I'm not, again, it's not, they're wonderful churches and wonderful Christians. But in a big sense in America, and I think it's around the whole world, there is great worldliness within our churches. In the private lives of individuals, and even within the church walls, what's going on. And that's not glorifying the God. It's double-minded. That's in between Christ and the world, and the Lord calls us to be separate from that. What's going to happen to the church, and we're seeing it, the true, true, true church of Jesus Christ is never going to die, okay? Because Christ is the head. So don't, don't think, I mean, that we're being snuffed out. But the church of Jesus Christ can atrophy. The church can, can become weak. The, work, the church can lose its testimony for the Lord to a large extent in the world. I think all through history, even we, we, we looked at judges, right? Even in the, with Old Testament saints, all the way through the dark ages, you pick up the time. God has always had a remnant. He's always had the true faithful that kept their eyes on the Lord and walked in obedience to his word and were separated from God and may have cost them their lives. Okay. That, but, but God has always had that remnant. But the point is that we don't have any power in our testimony, in our walk with the Lord, when we're, when we're living com in compromise. Those enemies that we face, if they're only our enemies if they're the Lord's enemies. You understand what I'm saying? David says, do not I hate them that hate thee, Lord? I hate them with a perfect hatred. If somebody's an enemy of God's, they need to be our enemy. Again, it does not mean you can't bring the gospel to them. But we, we're not to commune with them. We're not to make leagues with them. We're not to be buddies with them. I'm not to go in business with them and so forth. That's, that's it. They have clearly identified themselves as an enemy of Jesus Christ. Am I going to go embrace them and try to make buddies with them? That would be ludicrous, right? Those enemies are to be destroyed. And if you have individual, and I'm about to close, any individual things in your life that are coming to get warring against your soul. The Bible talks about things that war against your soul. Uh, sinful things, temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, things of the world. They're not to be made uh, compromised with. They're not to be made leagues with. They're to be put out. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. The two are totally different. 
This is created in true righteousness and holiness. That's Christ, the new man. This is that uh, nature of Adam, which is corrupt and deceitful. And the fruit of that is nothing but sin. They're two totally separate beings. Put off the old man, even as a Christian, put him off, okay? And put on the new man. Be robed in that new man. Those two never meet. They never meet. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The Lord didn't take the nature of Adam when we got saved and make him better. He crucified that with the affections and lust. Okay? And we're to be robed in Christ. There's no league with that. So I'm just bringing this to a close. And if I'm trying to make one, it's a sin. It's a faulty ground I'm standing on. It's a faulty thing that I'm trying. I'm trying to make a league <coughs> with something that Jesus said, cut off, die to that Jesus died to free me from. And I'm trying to make peace with it somehow, or 10% of it, you know, or 5% of it, a little bit that I like over here. He says, come out and be separate. And so just in closing, y'all, there are deep coming up. There are great areas in our own lives, and I just want you to, to take an inventory again. It seems like I asked this question a lot on Wednesday nights, and I ask it of myself. Are there areas in your life they're not fully surrendered to the Lord. Because you're not going to have victory in an area of your life if it's not surrendered to the Lord. It has to be surrendered to the Lord. And if you say, well, man, I want to take this, this new ground over here, or this new ground over here, and I'm closing right here, uh, but we're not already walking in the victory of in other words, I want to take, Japan, I'm making this an example. I want to take Japan for Jesus, but I haven't shared the gospel with my next door neighbor. Okay, now relate that not just to evangelism, their own, own uh, battles that you have and struggles with sin and temptation. I want, to, I want to have great victory over this. And God says, well, I'm dealing with you about this right here. This right here. Let's get this straight right here. Let's get this straight. Put your pole in the ground with your banner that says victory in Jesus on it. Stick it in the ground and say, I have victory here. There's peace here. Now, there's further territory to take. It's like more distant land, okay? But we got to walk in victory in the light that we have right here. You know, you're walking outside in the dark night. you got this much light right around you from the lamp you're carrying Walk safely in that. Walk comfortably in that. Walk in victory in that. God will expand the light. He'll show you some new territory that he wants, us, that he wants you to take. In your own personal life, or maybe in ministry, whatever it may be. When we surrender more fully, when we yield more completely, when we obey more quickly and believe more strongly, God will show us more. And he will give us more. And he will help us more. And he will use us more. The faithful servant is always entrusted with more, right? And we see that in the Bible. Well done, there, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over what? Millions of things? No, you've been faithful over what I gave you. A few things. You're just faithful. This is what I gave you. You were very faithful in taking care of that handful of things I gave you. Because you were faithful in the handful of things that I've given you. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to make you ruler over more. The one that's unfaithful.
faithful. He's going to take away from that. Give this guy, he's faithful. It's just an example. It's a, it's a parable. It's an illustration. But that is a, a spiritual truth. We walk in the light. We surrender more fully. And I, I love this. I'm closing with this scripture. When Jesus, uh, Philip went and found Nathaniel, it says in John chapter 1. Andrew went and found Peter and brought his brother. We found Christ. It was first meeting him, right? Bringing, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Philip went and found Nathaniel. <clears throat> brought Nathaniel to Jesus. We found the one, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And then there's, Jesus makes this comment to Nathaniel. Because Nathaniel called him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. When we first met him. And Jesus said, answered, he was almost amazed and said, Unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. When we believe, when we walk in what we are given, we're going to have more. We're going to have more victory, more peace, more joy, more usefulness for the Lord. Greater prayer life, greater power, greater power when we lay hands on somebody to pray for them. You understand what I'm saying? Greater favor with God and man. When we walk in the light that we have, God will give more light. When we walk in faithfulness to what he's given us to be faithful with, he'll give us more. Father, we just praise you and thank you tonight. And God, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to make no league with the enemy. These altars are open, y'all. Come and pray tonight and seek the Lord. I'm just asking you once again, just think about your own life. Is there something in your life not fully surrendered to the Lord? Is there some area in your life where you've settled into a stalemate, basically, with the world? And you're not actively fighting against what's fighting against your soul? Are there enemies in your life that you have not put out, but you've, you've kind of suppressed them a little bit, but you didn't put them out of your life? Ask God to show you. Ask God that, Lord, let tonight be a different night. Let, the, let tonight be the beginning of something new, at least in this area, God. Cause me to fight the battle, to win the victory, and to stand in the victory. For your glory, God. For your glory, God, we ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.